Hi, Rockstar. Christina Cantors from The C Method here. I'm currently on maternity leave and taking a break from the podcast, but I'm excited to share with you a selection of best of episodes, which are some of my personal favorites from the standout Get Noticed back catalogue. To get access to 200 plus podcast episodes, as well as monthly online courses and live webinars, become a premium member and join The C Method Academy at thecmethod.com join. Something I've observed during COVID is how we're all getting a little bit more human in our communication. And one way leaders can do this is to tell stories. In this best of, I take you back to June 2018, where speaker and trainer Yamini Naidu shows us how to create more engagement through business storytelling. Enjoy. And joining me on the show is the wonderfully talented Yamini Naidu. Now, Yamini is an expert in helping leaders to master business storytelling. She works with leaders, giving them business storytelling tools so they can engage people and deliver commercial results. She's a seasoned keynote speaker and runs workshops all over the world. When we spoke, she'd just gotten back from Japan, which was really cool. She also loves challenging herself by doing stand-up comedy, and she also did, um, she participated and won the Moth Storytelling Competition, which is very cool. Uh, Now, we met during the School of Hard Knock Knock stand-up comedy course, and I remember when we first met, she said, my name is Yamini, and the way you can remember that is it rhymes with harmony which I loved. (laughs) Anyway, in this conversation, we discuss why storytelling in business is so important to the effectiveness of your communication and what it actually looks like. You know, we talk about, oh, storytelling is important, but what does that actually look like? Um, Yamini also shares some of her public speaking tips from her years as a professional speaker. So this episode is for you if you want to engage your team, your clients and other stakeholders more effectively And if you tend to get stuck in the data when delivering a presentation, or maybe you know some people who tend to get stuck in the data, in which case you might like to share this podcast with them as a little subtle hint, hint. Um, To connect with Yamini and to learn more about her work, visit the show notes at thecmethod.com slash Yamini. That's Y-A-M-I-N-I. Okay, let's meet the wonderful Yamini Naidu. Enjoy. So Christina, I primarily work with leaders mm. and I've been a leader myself and I'm also an economist by training. So it's always be frustrated with why can't we persuade people? Like why do our ideas not get accepted? Why can't we implement and execute strategies? Was this something that you went through when you were an economist? Correct, correct. When I was leading, you know, sure. it's always be frustrated because it's quite data driven. And then on a long haul flight, I was given a book by Stephen Denning, which talked about business storytelling. It's called Business Storytelling for Leaders. And as soon as I read it, a light bulb exploded in my head. I went, this is a missing piece. This is why really good, smart, professional, hardworking leaders, we don't always get the success uh, we deserve because we're missing that whole piece. And as soon as I got off the plane, I rang a whole lot of leaders and and I asked them about business storytelling and all of them said two things. They said, we know great leaders tell stories, but we don't know how to. Mm. And just on that brave premise, like there was a gap in the market and I, I just felt passionate. I never knew whether I could run a company, whether I could, whether I was a good storyteller or whether I could even teach storytelling. I actually co-founded a company that did storytelling in Australia. And 10 years ago, the conversation was very much around like, 
business storytelling. How can you do that in business? Like, how can you storytell in business? Uh, but that was my first step towards keynote speaking. Sure. Because I just felt I had such a compelling message that could serve my audience. So how did you go about, so you had this idea, yeah. you saw this gap in the market, but you didn't, you hadn't actually done it before or no. knew how to teach it. So yeah. what, where did you go from there? I really blush when I think about our first workshop. <laughs> <laughs> you always just start off with an idea with almost like a beat up product. Uh, and then through every iteration, you grow and you learn and you garner your own IP. Mm. Uh, so I think at the start, it was just like a real conviction and a real sense of the frustration that leaders were facing. Like, why couldn't they engage? Why couldn't they connect? Why couldn't they inspire their teams? Because we were just trying to do it with data, with facts and figures, with, which sounds so obvious now. But 10 years ago was a real revelation to me. Mm. So the research tells us, you know, data appears to the head, but stories and emotion appeal to the heart. So that was a big piece we were missing. Um, so just from that very, you know, humble baseline start. Also, it was completely new in Australia. Nobody else was doing this 10 years ago. So um, there was a real um, curiosity in the market uh, and a real hunger for something different. Mm. So within 30 days of, joy of co-founding my first company, we uh, National Australia Bank was our first client. Wow. Because they were always looking for something a bit leading edge in terms of leadership development. Yeah. And just from that, you know, one client at a time, got a lot of initial PR with the age and the Fin Review and uh, because it was just so new. And I think each time you go out, I think it's always getting your first client. That's when you start to really polish your message. That's when you um, get powerful examples. That's when you get that conviction. So, you know, you have a passion and an idea initially, but it's like when the rubber hits the road, you get that execution piece. So when you're selling this idea to clients and and you're, you're saying it's it was a new concept for people to grasp, I would have thought that would have been quite difficult to sell at the start if it's a new idea. Sure. Uh, were, were people not cautious or did they all go for it? Uh, you always get that distrib- you get that bell curve. You know, yeah. you always get the mavens who love anything new, early adopters. shiny new, yeah, shiny new yeah. toy. Uh, but I think no matter what, with your keynote speaking and with your message, you've always got to have clarity on what. How does this help my audience? What problem is it solving? Which sounds really basic, but there's that huge piece of. Um, living in your audience's skin, you know, just being in their world. Uh, just the other day, I was re-watching Freaky Friday. I don't know whether you've seen it. It's a film with Jamie Lee Curtis. Oh, yes, and, and she her. switches with her daughter, yeah. <laughs> Lindsay Lohan, before Correct. she went off the rails. That's right, that's right. It's such a classic, and they both wake up in each other's bodies. Yeah. So I think you almost have to have that kind of experience. Like, you just have to live in your audience's lives um, without, you know, the fortune cookie, which is what creates the whole catastrophe in Freaky Friday, mm. to really get a sense of what are their frustrations? What is, whatever you're offering, how does it address that? Mm. Um, so, you know, being from a corporate background and being leader myself, I had a really good sense of that. Yes. And and storytelling just seemed to be the one of the missing pieces, something that we'd never thought about in business before. So you found that message yeah. from the very start. Pretty much, and but it takes you quite a lot of time to fine-tune and hone it, hone it down. Yeah. So you know how you just have like this meta message and you're all evangelical and excited, but it's not uh, it's not concrete enough or sexy enough for an audience. So then there's that journey of just honing it and refining it down. So sometimes I just use now, it's you know, it's probably take me quite a while to come up with the metaphor. I say discovering storytelling is like life after Google. You wonder how you lived without it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I always just find that fascinating around like how you actually hone down that message because that's often one of the most difficult things. I know that when I started, I had so many things like 
I speak on communication and confidence and that's so broad. Mm. And there are so many other people doing it as well. You've got to find your, you know, your particular niche. You have to find your voice and your authenticity around it as well. I was at my daughter's school a while ago and they they had like one of those child psychologists speaking and they said with your kids, you should only ever have three non-negotiables because anymore you won't remember them and it'll be hell. And I think that so applies to speakers. Like if there are only three things you could tell your audience, it just hones and forces us to prioritize. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're getting your audience to just drink from like a water hose instead of drinking from a glass. Do you mean Do you mean that in the sense of per presentation or three different messages, like three different keynotes or, or yeah, workshops? Per you presentation, per, per presentation. presentation. I think three meta ideas and then yep. everything you say supports those meta ideas because there's only so much you can do in 45 minutes or 60 minutes. So I think I always think of, Everything you do with your audience, think of it as a series. So don't think they're only ever going to see me this once and I've got to tell them everything I know. Life doesn't work like that. So hopefully they'll experience 45 minutes of you and then they might book a half-day masterclass and a whole-day workshop. Mm. So you've got to think of babushka dolls, you know, the Russian dolls, one nesting within the other. So the 45 minutes, the smallest keynote that you do is like the smallest babushka doll. And then if they like that, they can buy the next size up. Yeah. And that's when you have an opportunity again to deepen their knowledge and their skills. Yeah. But don't try to do everything in that one upfront piece because that's just overwhelming. Yeah. And then they're not going to hire you again. <laughs> they're just going to give them everything they need. Also, you can't do it. You can't do no, it. No, well. you can't. And I think that first keynote piece, if it really addresses the why. So for me, that was the power with how we got so much traction with storytelling early and quickly is because mm. we really created something compelling around why storytelling. So what is it you're not doing now? that you should be doing. And smart, successful professionals, we're always on that quest. We always want to know what is it that I should can be doing better and what it is I'm not doing that I should be doing. Mm. So for me, business, no matter what you do, so whether you're a leader or a salesperson or a freelancer, it's always about two things. It's about relationships and about results. So every day we've got to engage people, you know, our teams, our clients, our suppliers, our stakeholders, and we've got to deliver results. So... I was thinking the tools that we use to engage people to build relationships. The one thing that we're not doing is using storytelling. So that's where I I fit the storytelling piece in. Mm. Um, And then use lots of examples from my clients and how they've had results. Uh, I'm just going to share one with you. So, you know, I'm not just talking about storytelling, I'm actually doing it. One of my clients, Bernadette Iskander, works in a large insurance company. And her purpose, so her purpose with the story was giving her teams Getting our teams to take a step back before jumping to conclusions. You know how it works. We're very driven. We're always next, next, next. And we're making very instant decisions. She wanted her team sometimes to step back and reconsider. And this is the story she shared. Just the other day, my five-year-old niece, Maya, walked into the house with two apples. An apple, you know. And I thought, hmm, this is a good time to teach Maya how to share. And I said, Maya, can I have one of your apples? And quick as a flash, she took a bite of the apple in her right hand. And quick as a flash, she took a bite out of the apple in her left hand. And I was shocked. But before I could say anything, she immediately held out the apple in her left hand and said, Auntie, have this one. It's sweeter. (laughs) I'm sharing that with you because that day I learned how important it is sometimes to step back and give people another chance. And imagine if we all did that, the difference we could make. So that's just an example mm. of where a story, especially when you're dealing with something like that, with behavior, with something that's ambiguous, the story can really help mm. without being judgmental or being very tactical or being very processed. You know, this is what I want you to do. Um, it's getting people to embrace the why behind something. Yeah. 
Because no one likes being told. I know. It's our biggest bugbear. Life would be so easy <laughs> if you could just tell people what to do. <laughs> <laughs> so talk about the evolution of hard power, which is your command and control, which is telling, you know, yell and tell, telling people what to do, which might have worked in the 50s. And then in the 90s, we discovered soft power, which is using connection, con- connecting, consulting, collaborating to influence. And today I talk about story power. Mm. So storytelling is the oldest tool, but in terms of influence, it's the contemporary tool of our time. Yeah. Uh, so as leaders and business, as speakers, we've seen that evolution, hard power, soft power, and now story power. Mm. Do you think people, why do you think people are afraid to use stories? It's our, our biggest bone-crunching fear is we're afraid we, we don't have stories. So people always tell me, my God, I've got no stories. And our other fear is that we may not be professional. We may not be seen as being professional, which Christina is also the similar thing about using humor at work. People think, oh, I'm not funny and it's not professional. Mm. Um, and I just think with both storytelling and humor, as long as you do it purposefully, you do it authentically and you do it well, you can overcome both of those fears. And I think if you basically, if you've got a pulse, if you've lived a life as a human being, you've got stories. You just don't see them as stories. Uh, I don't know if you read Don Quixote as a kid, you know, where he used to see windmills. It's this little knight who's totally crazy and he goes off on all these adventures. And every time he sees windmills, he thinks they're dragons, <laughs> which is really bizarre, <laughs> but that's part of the story. And I think uh, as storytellers, that's how we become. We see things and we realize they're actually stories. I was just taking a plane from Sydney to Melbourne the other day, and it was Friday night, grumpy, everyone just wants to get home. And um, the cabin crew were making all their safety announcements, and he said, um, ladies and gentlemen, we're dimming our lights for takeoff, and also because it's much more flattering for our crew. <laughs> <laughs> and for me, that's a brilliant story of how even a safety announcement can be made more engaging. Mm. Uh, so immediately pop it down into Evernote, which is like an app I use, which you might be familiar with. It's yeah. like an online notebook. I'm going to just tag it because that's my next story that I'm going to use. So the minute you have that Don Quixote approach to life, you just start to see stories everywhere. Yeah, and just cap- and capturing them I think is sure. really important. You know, one of um, our classmates in the stand-up course, <laughs> he was saying to me, he said, one of my regrets in life is not keeping track of all the stories, not writing them down from in my 20s because sure. he's, he's like, I'm 50 now and I've only recently started writing down all my stories. Sure. And he said, I've got so many great stories, but I just can't remember them. I can't rem- remember the detail. I know. You, I do do a tool with my clients where we do a timeline and I get them to go back and reflect through each phase of their life to capture stories. And with both our books that we wrote, so uh, both books that I've written and my most recent book, Power Play, Game Changing Influence Strategies for Leaders, what was so surprising was because I record all my client stories and get formal permission from them to use their stories. We would go back because of the book and get permission again and clients would go, my God, did I really share that? In that brief moment, they'd forgotten. Mm. So unless you, you're totally spot on, Christina. I talk about the best storytellers are story listeners. So you're always listening out, but then you're finding some way of capturing capturing stories yeah absolutely I used to do that with a personal blog whenever something happened you know something profound happened to me or I learned something I'd be like I'm gonna blog about that and then I just let the blog die so but I've I've used those stories from that blog in you know in presentations and keynotes and it's been really helpful so it's kind of you know I'm thinking now I should start that (laughs) up again amazing spot on you're spot on we've got many more stories than we think we have life Mm. is rich in stories and my key is they've got to be authentic 
So I think it doesn't work in making up manufacturing or spinning stories. The way I see business storytelling is got to have a purpose. So, you know, when you use stories in your keynote, they've got to link to a message. Otherwise, it's just self-indulgent. Mm. Uh, they've got to be authentic. And research tells us Australian audiences are the biggest BS detectors. So the minute you're <laughs> faking or spinning, they, they just know. And yeah. it's so much harder to make up a story than to look through life and think, okay, that's a story, you know, that I can use. Mm. And I often talk about stories supporting data. So um, I was at a presentation the other day and the presenter who was a psychologist was saying one in four people suffer from anxiety. So that's a huge data point, mm. isn't it? One in four, that just brings it home. And then he said, when I was 18, I had my first anxiety attack. So then he shared a personal story. So that's how you could use data and story together. Yeah, and you yeah. can use that absolutely in your keynote. So, you know, because there are people in the audience who, are very, who want that fact, they want some data. And then there are people in the audience who would engage with emotion. Mm. And then you've got that both. You've got a yin and a yang presentation or a keynote. What if you're a person who is who doesn't really show much emotion and who isn't <laughs> really a natural sharer and they sure. don't like to mix personal and business yeah. and they're very yeah. they they're naturally quite a yeah. businessy focused person. Person. Yeah. yeah. Sounds like me when I was an economist. No. <laughs> Uh, I think we have to carefully differentiate the difference between a personal story and a private story. Mm. So like the the example I shared, you know, with little niece and the two apples, and um, that's a personal story, but it's not a private story. So quite often with clients, say they want to share um, a story around being through a serious illness like cancer. And my question to them is always, how does this serve the room? So how does this serve the room? And then that helps us decide whether we're going to use that story or not. So for me as a storyteller, I, sh I share a ton of stories, you know, my client stories, my own personal stories. Uh, but I'm very careful about stuff I don't share. So for me, that's private, that stuff I don't share. So as long as we have that clarity, we'll still always be professional in business. And Christina, I'd encourage everybody, I think of all the stories you can use, you know, you can use other people's stories as long as you credit them. So you could watch a TED Talk, listen to Brené Brown, and you could go, I was listening to Brené Brown and she shared, bang, share her story. The thing that really packs a punch is personal stories. So if you use, for me, the holy trifecta is a personal story that lands on a message and is also funny. So if you do those three things, you're going to just pop. You're going to totally quantum leap everybody else. So don't hesitate. So you may not start off with personal stories because you might find them difficult or challenging. And let's not underestimate all of this takes skill. So the two biggest pieces of feedback I get from leaders, one is they tell me um, it, the, the, it's one of regret. They wish they discovered storytelling earlier in their career because mm. all their life they've been pushing uphill with hard power. And the other piece of feedback I get is it's much harder than it looks. And Christina, you would have had that same experience with comedy. With good comedy, it just looks effortless. It looks impromptu. Oh, yeah. It looks off the cuff. But you know... That, you know, when you actually sit down to do good comedy, there's so much preparation, there's writing, there's drafting, there's testing. Practice, practice, practice. practice and yeah. all of that applies with good storytelling. So never be seduced by someone who looks very impromptu, off the cuff. They've done all of that work. But because it's authentic to them, it comes across like that. Mm. On that topic of authenticity, one of the hardest parts I found with writing comedy was that your comedy doesn't have to be true. <laughs> like you actually, because I'm not used to lying yeah, when I'm speaking. Yeah. You know, I'm not used to saying this happened when it didn't. Yeah. And 
But what we learned, and maybe this is taking a bit of a tangent, but um, <laughs> what we learned was that you can start with a true story, but then you you zag instead of zig, and you make it to make it funny. It's got a sure. twist, and oftentimes that twist is not real not real you know so that um, was encouraging I found that really hard because I'm like but it's not true I don't want people thinking that I hate my accountant I don't yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. but two things I found with both storytelling and comedy they're based in your truth so uh, you always go to your world to find good comedy so you know I often use my identity as the fact that I'm a busy mother uh, if you're an inner city latte sipping hipster that's your world so it's based in your truth and good comedy is also based in universal truths so these are things we know universally to be true. You know, it might be about stereotypes, might be about some stuff on Twitter, you know, could be around teenagers. So those are the two elements that anchor good comedy. But then, of course, comedy gives you an open canvas. You can, you know, exaggerate. You can land things where people don't expect them to. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, both good storytelling and comedy based in your truth. And that keeps that authentic layer through both of, both of those mediums. So in your keynotes that you deliver, what, how much story do you use in those? Like what, uh. <laughs> what proportion of your keynote is made up of story? And I ask because I know a lot of really like the most successful TED Talks, yeah. when you watch them, they're like 70, 80% sure. story sure. and very little content, but they pack a powerful punch yeah. because of the story. So I'm curious yeah. to learn more about how you approach your, your keynote. I pretty much, but I think for me it's slightly different because I'm also role modeling my message. Yeah. So I often will open with the story, uh, but I make sure I use really solid research and data. I use, I refer to, um, to the Aristotle model of influence. So Aristotle two and a half thousand years ago said you need logos, which is the data. Yep. You need ethos, which is personal credibility. And you need pathos, which is an emotional connection. So I think a good keynote has elements of all of that. So you've absolutely got to have the logos. You've got to talk about the research or the data or whatever that is. You absolutely have to demonstrate your ethos, your personal credibility, that this is something you practice, you believe in. Uh, it's not just the latest bandwagon you're on as a speaker. And the pathos, the emotional connection, you're only going to create that in a room when you use good storytelling. Um, so I don't like to think of, you know, so many stories or so few stories. But I'd like to see more stories in everyone's presentations. But I, I would look for that spread of where's your logos? How are you supporting that, you know, with pathos and ethos? Yeah, absolutely. Because there's different audience members and they resonate sure. with different things. Sure. And some people aren't going to buy into what you're saying yeah. unless you give them some solid facts yeah. and data. Yeah, it's the Jerry Maguire line. Show me the money. So some people are like, show <laughs> me the data. <laughs> Should be show me the stories. <laughs> did you? Were you always good at adding humor to your presentations bef <laughs> before you did the stand-up uh, training? <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, Christina, I, my friends used to always say you're really funny, which is like, as you know, the baseline to be in comedy. But for some reason, when I started off, as a keynote speaker and please don't make this mistake I was quite earnest I was quite serious um, and then I was at a IBM wait, hang on. Why, why were you quite earnest I think because you're so new and you don't realize that um, you just you just have this distorted view of what professionalism is like like I was quite serious but not very very serious like not you know, tediously serious but much more serious than I am now and then I had this moment, this light bulb moment, I was at IBM and uh, it was a room full of engineers, a lot of Indian people. And I said, my God, they're living the Indian mother's dream. I have <laughs> to tell them, I have to share my Indian mother's story, which is, you know, when I tell my mom, I want to be a storyteller. She goes, why? They know no more jobs in IT or doctor. You know, why can't you be a doctor or be in IT? And I just instinctively used that and the room just exploded with laughter. And, and for me, that was the turning point. 
And ever since then, I know that all good keynotes and all good presentations, all good communication, I believe in Pareto's law, 20% of your efforts are going to give you 80% of your results. 20% of your efforts. So for me, that 20%, it's only two things. It's story and humor. Wow. (laughs) I'm totally convinced. I have like a complete conviction. That's been my own journey and it's been the journey of everyone else I've worked with. Um, And it reflects the research as well. One of the quotes that I use is one of the leaders telling me, I told a story and I'm so surprised it worked. I'm shocked it worked. So just seeing that magic, it's it's that transformation. You know, it's like Aladdin rubbing a magic lamp and out pops a genie. I think when they tell a story and it works, it's that success, which is so rich and so rewarding for me. I, I mean, I can say whenever I'm listening to, if it's a boring presentation, <laughs> as soon as I start to hear the beginnings of a story come in, I immediately perk up. Like I immediately <laughs> go, oh, this sounds interesting. Like I can't help it. And yeah, it just shows that yeah, people yeah. can't help but tune in yeah. to stories. It's almost like you're oxygenating your audience every time you use a story. You're like putting oxygen yeah. back into the room. Um, one thing I love about you is that you – go out and you do different things to challenge yourself with your speaking. So you do stand-up comedy, um, you did the moth storytelling, which you won, which was amazing. Do you get nervous at all when you do these things? Yeah, there's always a level of anxiety, isn't there? And for me, that's good. So for me, that's adrenaline as long as you manage it and do it well, you know. Uh, It can be, uh, you know, with it's like with fire. You can cook with fire, you can burn a village with fire. So I think use that adrenaline positively to really – you know, turn up, show up 100%, do your best yeah. and, and, and honour the people in the room. So, What do you say to yourself? Um, like what do, you, what do you do to help with that anxiety? I, I don't get a lot of anxiety, I must mm. say, because, you know, you do this for a living, yeah. but I do get some level of adrenaline. Speakers always talk about it's very important that you manage your state. Yeah. So just before you speak, you've got to make sure, you know, your phone's turned off, you might listen to some calming music. Uh, and you really block out the rest of life so that you can turn up 100% for your audience. So it doesn't matter what's happened yesterday or you got a nasty email or you've got a fight with your partner. All of that is to just go mm-hmm. and you totally manage your state and turn up 100% present for your audience. Um, and that's that's such a respectful space to be in as well. And then it lets you do your best work. Instead of letting outside things impact you because – Ultimately, the audience doesn't care. No, and they are. Yeah, they don't care that you've been running late or that <laughs> you your dog your died. No, like they don't care. <laughs> They're not there for that. And yeah, yeah, yeah. And Braddock's, you know, who's one of the coaches with our comedy, he says there's only one mood to turn up on stage, and that's a good mood. You know? <laughs> Everything else is no one's business. So you've always yeah. got to just honor the people in the room and just turn up. Yeah. I've seen speakers get on stage and be grumpy oh, I can't and like that. like actually be like, oh, the clicker's not working and get really <laughs> How grumpy grump, like, and kind of blaming it on the yeah. organiser. And it's like, um, the audience doesn't care that the clicker's not working. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Another thing some speakers do is they warm up on stage. It takes them like, you know, five, ten minutes before they start hitting strides. I think you've got to have warmed up mm. and you start with a bang. Like I always say, start with fire, start strong. Uh, so you can't have that luxury of five minutes of – you know, really whiffle and waffle and just warming up. You've only got nine seconds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Yamini, what's what's next for you? Are you what's the next speaking challenge for you? For me, uh, my next challenge as such is is bringing humor back into the workplace. Okay. So I offer a humor keynote, a humor masterclass, and I think humor. And I just want to redefine humor a little bit because okay. it's not joke telling. So people think, "Well, I'm not going to sit." It's not joke telling. It's um, it's using humor to connect engage and inspire people. It's using humor appropriately, skillfully to elevate 
So not to deprecate, but to elevate, you know, your team, your audiences, all of that. So for me, that's my next big challenge. So I think humor is exactly where storytelling was 10 years ago. People are going, how can you be funny at work? (laughs) And I'm like, you totally can. Everything you do at work can be elevated through appropriate humor. So for me, that's my next big challenge. (laughs) Amazing. You know, I I read a quote once from a speaker booker, so someone who books speakers for conference, and they said there are two types of speakers, Mm -hmm. speakers that are funny Mm -hmm. and unemployed speakers. (laughs) Nice. I love it. I'm going to use that quote. It's the best. (laughs) So it just goes to show that, like, you you make that impact impact when you have humor. I know. And when people are laughing, Christina, you know this, all their defenses are down. When you're laughing, you're learning. You know, there's no richer environment for any learning to land. Mm, yeah. Well, Yamini, it's been amazing having you on the show. Thank you so this much. It's gone so quickly. <laughs> I know time's flown. But tell tell us where people can connect with you, and because I know yeah. you write you write a lot yeah. um, on LinkedIn. You've sure. got videos. You've got. Sure workshops where can people find you uh would they be happy to just ring me (laughs) maybe don't give your phone number (laughs) just find me online yamaninaidu.com just on my website find me on linkedin those are my two essential platforms and love to connect with you awesome thank you so much thank you so much Big thanks to Yamini Naidu for being such an amazing and generous guest on the show this week. Did you notice that every time she answered a question, she shared a story? She makes it sound so easy, doesn't she? Now, believe me, it does take practice. So set yourself a challenge. This is what I would do. Set yourself a challenge to share one story a day in your work conversations. And this could be a personal story, Um, maybe a story that happened to someone else or maybe a story behind an important fact or statistic in something you're presenting. Just share one and from there it'll get easier. Now, if you want to see learn more about Yamini and the work that she does, you can go to her website at yamininaidu.com or simply visit the show notes at thecmethod.com slash yamini. And that's all from me this week. Thank you so much for spending some time with me today. Keep on being awesome and I'll talk to you next week. My name's Christina Cantors and this has been Stand Out, Get Noticed. Thank you for listening to Stand Out, Get Noticed. To learn more and inquire about the C-Method coaching, keynote and corporate training programs, visit thecmethod.com.